My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back for first time to the Post Credit Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at BroBible.com. Today, as always, I am joined in voice, not in face, by my co-host, Cade Onder, who you can find writing about video games over at ComicBook.com. Today is our last show of 2023. Uh, we're going to be talking about what Marvel should do now that they officially fired Jonathan Majors following his guilty verdict. And then we're going to talk about our top five favorite movies slash games of the year and our top five of 2024. So to kick it off, we're going to start with Marvel. <laughs> well, first, Cade, what's going on, dude? No, not much. <laughs> life, life is life. Ups and downs. <laughs> <laughs> some downs big uh plans for christmas or um no not at all usually i go over to my mom's house but my she lives in illinois i live in iowa and, and uh my brother is not going and so i was like do i want to be there just by myself welcome to know. getting older this yeah i don't happens. like it i don't like it it doesn't doesn't feel right i'm gonna go over there in january probably when i have more time off but um yeah i don't like holidays anymore <laughs> <laughs> any games that you gotta catch up on oh my god to catch up on yeah like i gotta go back and finish starfield at some points mm. i want to play that robocop game like i played like a little bit of it It was pretty cool there's a bunch have you of played stuff. uh baldur's gate yet did we talk about this uh i haven't played it but that's also on my list of things to do as well yeah, I'm not like an RPG guy, but once I heard that you could change the size of your dick, I was like, oh. <laughs> $70 for dick changing simulator. Uh, Can't do it in real life, so I'm doing it in a video <laughs> game. All right, let's start with the MCU. Following Jonathan Majors was found guilty of third degree harassment and assault. He faces up to one year in prison. That means he's going to do no time. That's just how I, that, I feel like that's just how things work when they say up to one year. It means that they're going to get off pretty much scot-free. Yeah. Um, but his career is fucked. I mean, I don't think, well, mm, his career is fucked, at least in terms of what it was supposed to be and what people yeah. were saying it was going to be least, like a month ago. Like he was being crowned as like the next guy, not just in terms of stardom, i.e. MCU fame, but just as like a legitimately great performer that is all out the window now if he's a bad dude he's a bad dude fuck him that that's kind of <laughs> yeah i mean you don't deserve to to do yeah. good things if you're gonna be an asshole right yeah, you don't so deserve success that's kind of the long and short of my feelings about jonathan majors himself as for the void that he now leaves in the mco it really is convenient that loki Season two gave them a pretty easy out, even though apparently this was all shot before the majors thing came out. Yeah. So like, I, I mean, they just got in. They either a got lucky as they ever have before, mm-hmm. or they're lying because <laughs> <laughs> it because does seem very convenient, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it, it it that's that was their final live action project of the year. I think the season finale slash series finale came out the same day as the Marvels. So that capped off their year. They've got Deadpool 3 coming out next year, which is going to have absolutely nothing to do with Kang. Well, as far as I understand, the TVA is going to be involved, but I don't think there was any sort of Kang character involved. So not only do they have the time 
to sort of get their ducks in a row. But they have a movie in which they already were going to be doing sort of multiversal, but not only multiversal, like franchise shaping moves. So if there, so it, if there was a time for them to do it, now's the time. Uh, as far as them like waiting until it was officially guilty, I mean, I understand why people would be annoyed by that. But if you're annoyed by that, you haven't been paying attention to how this world and specifically right. this country works. They they uh, rightly assumed that if majors got off, people would just forget about it and let it go. Uh, he didn't, so they won't. And and uh, what what I do think is fucked up though is that they didn't even put out a statement. And that they yeah. left the trade, and and that they left Almost the trade. a leak in quotes, right? I mean, it was not, but it is. You know, it's one of those things where sources told us, but yeah. So that's pretty much the 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 rundown of the situation, as far as I know. And then it comes down to what they're going to do from here. Now, the, the THR report said that they're debating between two routes, both of which are obvious, as far as I'm concerned. One is to recast the role. Um, yeah. I think recasting is uniquely easier than normal with Kang, given his multiversal is the like being there being million types of him is the or identity of his whole fucking thing. So like if, oh, suddenly he doesn't look the same. I am sure a multi-million dollar franchise, multi-billion dollar franchise could figure out a way to explain that. But Ant-Man's the only one, Ant-Man and Loki are the only ones who've really met him, right? So like- It's not like and someone Ant-Man's else in the, the movie only one who's heard the word Kang. Right. Yeah. So it's not like anyone else in these movies is going to be like, oh, who are you? Like, it's not going to be a problem within the storytelling. They can have a, like a, a scene justified to something. I don't know how you do that. But like, because obviously they're not going to bring him back for five seconds. And Jonathan Majors probably wouldn't want to do that. So um, I don't know how they, they make that transition. But I mean, they have a lot of time and it's going to be. I think it's going to be a smaller problem than people realize, right? Like, because once it's done, it's done. Like, it's like you've already overcome that. It's not a long spanning problem. Once you find the person you're going to recast, the problem just becomes, okay, how do we do we address it in the movie? Do we just leave it alone and just say, figure it the fuck out? You can read between the lines. I mean, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. It feels like a big deal because more or less the question has been, do they recast or do they put a different villain in? And I think that would be a mistake to do that. So, and then the other route is pivoting to a new big bad entirely. So what do you think about the decision to wait this long to make this move? What do you, if they were to recast it, is there someone that you would like to see? Or if they were to go, if they were to pick a new villain, which one would you want it to be? And which of those choices do you personally prefer? I don't want to see them put in like Dr. Doom or something. I think that'd be a huge fucking mistake to rush that storyline. That's, that's a character you dedicate to its own little phase or whatever. uh, And you build up to and and do lots of cool stuff there. Forcing him in will ruin a lot of things, I think. And so I, I think the only choice is to recast and let's be real. Like Marvel has been contemplating this for months, right? Like, it's not like they're like, all right, now we start like they, They've had probably path A, path B, what happens when he's guilty, what happens if he's innocent. And they have been steadily, you know, building on those plans ever since. So it's not like this is surprising to them. It's not like they are like fucking running around with their heads cut off. They have a plan and I'm sure they're already looking at actors or whatever. It's just a matter of um, 
again, how they do it. I don't know who I'd want to play Kang. Um, a lot of names have been thrown out there. I think like John David Washington's really good. Like he's a good actor. I wouldn't be opposed to him. Oh, that's interesting. It's there. There's a lot of. He's definitely text. stiff enough to play that character. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I think he could. He could pull it off if they if they gave him the opportunity. But Boyega, uh, I, is another one. Boyega is like, I don't want to do it. Yeah, so. I mean, he's had enough with fucking. I can't blame him. Disney for one yeah. lifetime. I think, and especially. I guess the question is, who is willing to do it? Not necessarily because well, that, of Marvel, that is but something the that the THRP said. It's like one problem there is like who is going to want to take out a role that was take on a role that was so publicly like fall from grace. Yeah, it's not like uh, what's his name from Iron Man. Um, what was his name? Oh my gosh, why is this escaping me? Terrence Howard. Yes, uh, it's not like him where it was like one movie that was the start of the mcu and then they moved on and it was like a a money thing or whatever um this is like there's bad blood attached to this like it's someone did something bad and they have to get rid of him who wants to come in and and try to reclaim this role and that's <laughs> that's a scariest position to be in so and that and that and that makes me think that they're not going to go go that route they've got the you know it'd be interesting to see what they would be doing if loki didn't present them with such a clean out or if ant-man 3 which again which was weird about ant-man to begin with it's like we want this guy to be our next big bad but yet the fucking literal jokey avengers guy beat him you know so yeah but they pretty much tied a bow on the three versions of him we've seen. He Who Remains was tied up in season one and two. Victor Tomley was tied up tied up in season two. And Straight Kang was tied up in Ant-Man. Now, I understand that there was a post-credit scene that featured a ton of them. But there was also a post-credit scene of the guy from Ted Lasso in Thor 4 <laughs> and, <Hercules>. uh, and <laughs> Corey Styles. So I don't think Marvel feels particularly beholden to these post-credit scenes at all. I and I and I think that they know that fans are willing to like, for lack of a better term, give them a pass on this one. And be like, oh, you know, I mean, fuck, like who who could have seen this coming? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It's like nobody's gonna go into the Kang Dynasty and be like, hang on, what are you doing? Where's right. the other guy? Like right. everyone's aware that this is a. I've also movie. seen people be like, oh, it was in. <clears throat> major's contract that he and only he could play any version of kang and i'm like dude i'm pretty sure getting charged with a crime would probably void that type yeah, there's of gotta be some sort of <laughs> like, Disney yeah, would like, not I, lock themselves i don't think i don't think like it's that. like black and white like that yeah like, he could go get thrown in jail and then be like oh well i guess he's our kang Disney has the best lawyers in the world even if that was the case they'd be like listen come on, this guy, we cannot have him in our movie. And you can just point to the fact that Magazine Dreams is like probably not releasing for years to come at this point uh, because of whatever. They can be like, listen, this other studio doesn't want anything to do with him. Why would we want him to be the center of our huge tentpole franchise? It's just, yeah, I don't want a new villain. I want oh. them to to recast. I, I if, hmm. if they, because I think... um. One, I, I think that creates a whole other sea of problems. Like, you set up Kang as this big bad, and then he's gone very quickly. <laughs> I mean, what? I mean, like, the ending of Ant Man leaves, like, a lot of questions about is Ant Man even in his universe anymore, right? That was, like, a big question. It was like, 
there's something off about the ending of that movie and it feels like there's a lingering question that needs to be answered there and that revolves around Kang and I don't I don't but like to but like is picking up a narrative thread from Ant-Man <clears throat> worth the logistical and PR and uh you know just every type of headache that would come with it if Ant-Man 3 was like a billion dollar hit and people were like oh we love this movie give us more then i think they'd be a little more stuck but people have largely right. forgotten the everything I, about that film I, so, you're right yes i i think that i just i marvel's in a situation right where they're being questioned about their quality and and whatnot i don't want them to bring in another really good villain like dr doom mm. and bring them in and continue to reiterate upon you're rushing things you're doing things that you don't have a plan for write it out get it, as long as you can find another actor who's willing to do it i mean if you can't if someone's if there's literally not a single person which i would have a hard time believing someone yeah but then again you don't want dollars. you you don't want to yeah. you know just get some guy off the street to play your next yeah, big, yeah. You know, i don't like, mean i don't mean just some guy but one <laughs> suggestion i've seen is that they go the thanos route and go cg and just have someone yeah. do his voice i think that would that's be the best, that could the best be their way out I think so. I, I think that would be the way to do it. Um, I think they have a lot of options that don't require them to completely throw out their plans and, and do someone new. Again, don't waste Galactus, Doctor Doom, whomever the fuck, because you got dealt a bad hand. Like it's just that would be ruining multiple things at once, and I think really kneecap them for the future. I mean, it, it's. Like I said, all they have to do is figure out how they can recast him, and then they're good. Like, that's the only problem. It doesn't affect the story of the movies, right? It right. just affects who's playing it, and that's the only issue. And once that's done, I think you're fine. Yeah. Choices that they could go to, of course, as you touched on, Doctor Doom, Galactus, there's Magneto. They could go to... Mephisto, which I think would be a bit of a tough sell to the suits. Another rumor I've seen out there today who people are constantly I'm tired of I'm tired of <laughs> these insiders just posting shit. <laughs> just I'm just <laughs> I'm just getting real fucking sick of There's it. There's a lot of garbage. A lot well, of gar but, it's crazy. But, but somebody who, to be fair, has gotten things right more than they haven't. Uh I saw this week that Mr. Sinister is being thought of as the X-Men villain. I think that that is a great idea. I, I I also don't necessarily think with Secret Wars coming that you need an overarching villain until then. You know, if you're going to have, if you're going to do the faithful adaptation and have Doom be involved in that, then the clock is ticking to get him involved. Yeah, I, Mr. Sinister is a good pick. That's a villain that like, has always kind of lingered in the X-Men movies. Like, they've never gone for it. Like, he was supposed to be... John Hamm was supposed to be him in, like, the New Mutants or whatever, or the right. they were set up for that. Um, That's the, the... Yeah. The villain of the new Wolverine game is apparently Mr. Sinister. So, oh, there's a lot of things building up. And I saw And I saw in the leaks that whoever made those games, Insomniac, right, has signed yep. a deal with Marvel to make X-Men games through... 2035 so yeah. if there's that level of franchise synergy and connectivity then maybe sinister being featured in that game is a hint that they have plans for him in the films too yeah i wouldn't rule it out like even if 
even if it's not like a Marvel mandate, it's just like you said, good synergy and it's it's pushing a villain because I mean all those X-Men movies all kind of revolved around Magneto, right? Like there were like nine of those movies and they all go back to Magneto. Yeah, but I did see a take that like he is kind <laughs> of a necessary he is ingredient to the whole to the whole thing. He is. He he, he should be a part of it, but they need to graduate to a new villain like someone who can come in and, and be the primary antagonist beyond gene gray and magneto and the sentinels right. um because that's been done so many times at this point yeah i don't i don't know there's no villain that i'm willing to sacrifice to make to give marvel an easy out to their problem well and i think and i think what makes like someone like galactus unusable because where do you go from there that's the franchise ender they would have to reboot from scratch so i think that that takes that that off the board another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, moving on. Let's talk about our top five favorite movies of 2023. Now, I want to caveat this by saying I still need to see four things. Holdovers, Boy and the Heron, Anatomy of a Fall, and Godzilla minus one kate off the top of your head is there anything that you feel like you haven't seen that you still want to see holdovers is one of them mm-hmm. um aquaman i guess <laughs> uh i want to see ferrari and the Ooh. iron claw mm. um i'm seeing those this weekend um but I, I you know i think i've seen enough that i can give you a pretty good pretty good list of all right what I like. and and then i want to just fire off a few of my honorable mentions if you have some as well feel free to do the same i've got guardians of the galaxy 3 mission impossible dead reckoning the killer and killers of the flower moon yeah those are most of mine uh my honorable mentions um i maybe air creed Mm. 3 uh did you see air yes feels like a lifetime ago but yeah it really does (laughs) um yeah i would say those are pretty pretty solid honorable mentions. Um, maybe All right, so X then you you uh you start. Give us your five. Uh, I'll start with the killer. I really like the killer. I think that's my my number five. Uh, I really really enjoyed. That's that's some peak David Fincher. Just total perfectionism. Um, I, I think every moment of that movie really just lands. Uh, and I I hope we don't go another fucking what ten years between David Fincher movies, I know. Not including Mank. Between real ones, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. I watched that film, I think, like three times within the first three days that it came out. It's everything. I think we've talked about it on the show a bit on the last podcast. It's everything that makes Fincher great, but also an advancement of what he's been doing because I think there is a element of like self... What's the word when you make fun of yourself? Self... Self-referential. Self-referential. No, self... Deprecating. deprecation because the whole conceit is that like this guy is meticulous as hell and like he's maybe not that great at his job and is that kill is that fincher you know speaking on on his work itself his his work itself him himself as a filmmaker the characters in this films i just think it is smarter and funnier 
than given credit for because everyone rightly focuses on the performance and the theme and 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 the tone but i think it's yeah it's a funny and it's a smart film uh my number five is past lives past lives reminds me you watch that still past lives reminds me of the netflix show master of none but just in film form i.e it's sort of the examination of the millennial new york city life at a period of crossroads and as somebody who is experiencing that it is a very resonant idea to me the idea of like see you in the next life see you in a past life is something that i've always loved you usually only see that in science fiction so to see Mm. that sort of idea applied to a real world stripped down indie drama i think is you know kind of perfect mix of my taste the way that everyday life and everyday people are filmed in this i think is beautiful i think new york city looks great and it's a movie that is ulti- i think it ultimately succeeds in its ending where it's able to achieve being both happy and sad at the same time which is a very tough thing to do but when you can do that and you can do it well it's a fucking home run every single time yeah i i have the blu-ray for that i haven't watched it yet but i i'm i'm trying to find time for it i'm i've been going through a love crisis lately so i don't know if it's the appropriate movie for me to be <laughs> watching at the moment it might be though that's the thing I don't know if I can take it, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll, I'm definitely going to try to watch it for the end of the year. Um, All right, kid. What's your number four? Oh, man. These are always so hard. I'm subject to change these, by the way, by the end of the year. So nobody okay. get mad at me if you don't like it. Um, I'm going to throw in Killers of the Flower Moon. I really, really liked it. I, I, I think it has the right amount of uh, I, I, do we do we talk about it on the podcast? can't remember it was the flower moon no i don't think so i i it takes the martin scorsese formula of like here's the rise of someone who's doing awful things to get very wealthy but does not depict it in the way that it does in like goodfellas and um the wolf of wall street where it's like this is fun this is exciting you should maybe not like this but you, you can't not be entertained by it and this movie's like this is awful the the way these people did these things is terrible and reprehensible and disgusting and um doesn't depict the fall from grace with the same kind of like oh no it's like yeah fuck those guys Mm. um the way it depicts everything in kind of like a horror isn't the right word but um definitely disgust uh is is really interesting and i appreciate that martin scorsese can use something that he's used repeatedly as a formula in his movies over and over again and and kind of flip it on its head. Killers for me is tough. I said at the time that I was ultimately let down by it because I think yeah. that that it was sold as a sort of mystery crime thriller and it was not that. I understand the sure. reasons for having to sell it as such. I understand that it is not on them to match up with my expectations. That mm-hmm. is not a uh, valid criteria of art. That being said, I did, when I left it, said it reminds me of what has now become one of my favorite films of all time, and that is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, whereas we're in, I went in expecting it to be Tarantino's new Pulp Fiction, right? I was expecting that sort of frenzied, high-energy, out-of-order plot. There's a better word for that, but it escapes me right now. And it wasn't. It wasn't like that at all. And so when I walked out of the theater, I was like, oh, bummed. I was like, oh, shit, dude, I really wanted A and I got X. But after I just watched it a few more times and learned to understand what it really is, it grew and grew and grew on me. I think Killers of the Flower Moon is going to have a similar 
effect on me. And that's why I'm psyched to watch it again. My number four is John Wick 4. One of the best action movies ever made. It figured out a way to continue to elevate the John Wick formula with it's probably the funniest John Wick film. Keanu Reeves probably talks the least of the John Wick films. It adds a character, an anti-hero that is arguably just as compelling as John Wick himself and Donnie Yen's character. It wouldn't be surprising to me if they did like a mini series around him or something because that character was just so dope. Looks beautiful as all of these films has. That overhead video game type shot is something I've never yeah. seen in an action or in film, I think in general before. And it's conclusion. If that's the way that they conclude it, I told this to Chad Stahelski when I spoke to him. I was like the tombstones of like loving husband. And I think that was it on it. Um, okay. Was like perfect to me. So yeah, John Wick 4. Yeah, John Wick 4 was really fucking good. Like I just remember watching that movie in the theaters and feeling so enamored by it because i didn't really love john wick 3 I, I like it but like that movie was very long and kind of exhausting by the end of it but four is even longer i think and is fucking perfect um for my number three oh boy i'm, I'm going through a list here trying to f- figure out i have so many oh blackberry did you blackberry no actually i haven't wow it's really funny. Uh, it's it's good. It's like dramatic, but has the right amount of humor to it. I just watched this on on Amazon a couple days ago, and I was like, "This is awesome." Um, it's I mean, there's been a lot of these like corporate biography movies in the last year or so, but yep. like this one really landed for me. Um, Glenn Howerton is fucking hysterical. I mean, everything he th- every choice he makes in this movie just had me cracking up. Uh, there's a moment where he like comes into their office early in the movie and uh he just like breaks a phone <laughs> no reason it's been replaying in my head over and over again it's it's really good yeah i've got to check that one out for sure i've heard only good things number three i have asteroid city um similar to the way that i feel about the killer i think that asteroid city is a a very self-reflective work i think it is a dilute um a distillation of everything that we love from wes anderson i as we've come to expect with his films i think it looks gorgeous i think the performances are great and it has my favorite 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 top number one scene of the year which is between jason schwartzman and margot robbie on the balcony when they smoke and talk for a bit i that's my favorite scene of the year i say He's a late bloomer, but maybe I think you'll need to replace me. You say, what? Why? How? I can't. I say, maybe I think you'll need to try. It is one of those movies that I think, I think that like in five years, we're going to be like, oh, we should have, that should have won more shit. Mm. Um, This isn't my number two, but I just remembered I saw Wonka last night. Mm-hmm. surprisingly good yeah like, i heard that genuinely a wonderful movie uh, i was very happy with it um number two again subject to change but i think i'll say barbie mm. i really i've I, as i don't really love all of the messaging in the movie like it's not the message itself it's the way it's delivered sometimes it's like way too heavy-handed and, and a little frustrating but i cannot deny how much i was laughing during this movie like to the point of it being almost ridiculous. Like I, 
every time Ryan Gosling is on the screen, I'm just fucking I'm locked in. Yeah. He he's throwing the funniest jokes of his career in this movie constantly. Do you just hold on for one second? Oh, okay. Sublime. I don't know. I'm gonna have to think about that. Uh, I, I posted that clip the other day of him yelling "Sublime," and I yep. just that's been in my head on repeat ever since. So I'll put that in as my tentative number two. Barbie, well, yeah, that's something that I'm psyched to rewatch as well. Now that it's on streaming, my number two is the Iron Claw. I loved this movie. As I told the cast, it reminds me of one of those TNT dramas that we'll see on the channel for years. It's got a great balance of drama. Heartbreak, comedy, friendship, romance, family, uh, action. Not like, you know, stuff right. blowing up, but, you know, the stuff in the ranks. Efron deserves to be nominated for Best Actor. I think the film deserves to be nominated for Best Picture. I think the director, Sean Durkin, deserves to be nominated for Best Director. If it wasn't for just the all-encompassing power of our combined number one, this would be my favorite film of the year by not by a stretch, but by a pretty good amount. I'm so psyched for people. I'm so excited for you to see it so we can talk about it more. Yeah, I, I'm seeing it on Thursday night. Very excited. Um, for my number one, Oppenheimer. They won't fear it until they understand it. Understand it until they've used it. Just absolutely like from the moment I saw it, I knew it'd be my favorite movie of the year. I think I was like, there'd be it'd be a very hard contest. Um, I mean, I flew to fucking New York to see it, so oh, like that should tell you my commitment to Christopher Nolan. But um, yeah, that movie is just absolutely incredible the entire you've said it if you if you watch the third act and that's your favorite act you know ball like that's just how it is like yep. the all the courtroom stuff is fucking incredible especially seen with uh uh jason clark that's his name right yep yep yeah uh that back and forth between them as the music is you you, 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 yes, you, you, that you. is on my brain all of the time. <laughs> it's just so fucking good. I can watch that scene over and over again. I mean, the way Christopher Nolan, who is best known probably for making action movies, was able to put the intensity of his actions. He's like, you know, he loves cross cutting, right? And the yep. the drama of cross cutting and the way he was able to implement that into a, a scene of people talking and make that feel like the most intense, stressful thing. I've seen this year is fucking incredible. I agree with everything you said. That is my number one as well. Nolan is long due. I think he's going to win best picture. I think he's going to win best director. I think Killian is, well, the Paul Giamatti thing is interesting. I still think Killian is going to pull it out. I think Robert Downey Jr. is going to win best supporting. I watched May, December. Charles Melton is good. There is no fucking way on earth. He's going to win over RDJ. I can promise you that right now. Uh, all right, so that'll do it for 2023. Let's move it to 2024. All right, we are now talking about our most anticipated movies of 2024. Once again, I want to shout out some honorable mentions, those films being Joker, Foil Adieu, I don't know if I'm saying that right, the sequel to Joker, Ballerina, the John Wick spinoff with Ana de Armas, Deadpool 3, 
uh, Quiet Place Day One and Kingdom of Planet of the Apes. Cage, you got some or no? Um, no, some of those are on my list list. So. Okay, there you go. All right, I'll start off this time. Number five uh, was supposed to come out late 2023. Disney fucked around and got mm-hmm. rid of it, and now it's been picked up by Focus Features. I think that is Jeff Nichols, the bike rider, similar to The Iron Claw. It reminds me of one of those TNT dramas that I grew up with and loved. Uh, stars Austin Butler, Jodie Comer, Tom Hardy, Michael Shannon. And is hitting theaters on <clears throat> June 21st. That's my number five as well. Oh, perfect. Okay. Nothing. Just no, damn near. Yeah. It's, it's just like a cool fucking drama with a big cast that I want to see. And I'm pissed off. It's <laughs> not out right now. Yeah, I know. June now. Yeah. Uh, all right. Number four, I've got Gladiator 2. Uh, the Ooh. sequel to 2000's Best Picture winner, director directed by Ridley Scott, starring Paul Mescal, Denzel Washington, Connie Nielsen, not starring Jaiman Hansu, that is a post-credit pod exclusive, uh, and Joseph Quinn, and Pedro Pascal, and it is hitting theaters on November 22nd. I was largely out on this idea for as long as it had been talked about online, but once he cast Paul Mescal and Denzel, I was all in. Yeah, it's a good cast. Um, I haven't seen Gladiator. Oh, dude, you're a fucking... <laughs> Skin rank though. <laughs> Bringing out the wine glass to drown out that I'm way uncultured. Uh, yeah, I'll get to it. I do want to. I'm very excited for this. The cast is really good, so I I will watch Gladiator before the end of the year. Promise you. Page your four. My four. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with Deadpool three. I think it is the most interesting Marvel movie of. A long time. Um, I think it's doing really interesting things, bringing back all these X-Men characters and killing them off or or whatever. Um, and I, I like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. He's my guy. Um, so I'm here for it. And I like Deadpool. And I'm I'm surprised it has taken as long as it has to get a new Deadpool movie out, given what one was like 2016 or something. And two was like 2018. Like yeah, they were pretty back right. to back. And um yeah, so I'm just happy to see Deadpool's back and fucking shit up in the MCU. Yeah, I mean, MCU's first R film. I think that that is of note. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, I love how meta it seems like it's going to be about the whole Fox universe. I think mm-hmm. that's going to be a lot of fun. The matchup of Sean Levy and Deadpool 3 and Rated R doesn't make sense on paper, but I think when you realize that Sean Levy is more of a point guard, He's not he's not like the you know the star forward that you need to rely on to put up 30 points a game. He's just more of a a steady pair of hands to guide the ship and distribute it to more talented people. So I'm willing to bet that Deadpool 3 is effectively written, directed and produced by Ryan Reynolds yes. and Sean and Sean's just his buddy and a competent director and so that's where that team up came came to to be. For sure. Uh, my number three. I'm willing to bet that you weren't smart enough to put this on your list. I bet this is going to be something that is slept on generally, and that is Alien Romulus. Oh, no? I keep forgetting if this is a movie or a TV a movie. show. A movie, like... and it, well, no, no. The confusion is that it, I think it was originally supposed to be straight to streaming, but okay, that's, that's right. Yes. Uh, directed by Fetty Alvarez. Don't yes. breathe. Uh, Evil Dead 2013. Directing Kaylee Spaney, who's now absolutely huge, thanks to Priscilla, also starring Isabella Merced, that is hitting theaters on August 16th. Alien is pound for pound one of my favorite franchises out there, period. So and anytime that there's any new version, I am there day one. It also, if you don't count the Alien vs. Predator films, its batting percentage is pretty fucking high. And... Mm-hmm. 
I've heard that Ridley Scott saw this one and thought it was dope. So all of those things combined has me hyped. Are you a Covenant guy? I am a Covenant guy. Hell oh, yeah. yeah. I, mean, oh, I think yeah. Prometheus is like legit great. Yeah. I don't feel the same about Covenant, but I think it's, you know, sol- it's like fun. solid good. Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's a good, good horror movie. Um, my number three, uh, I'll put Joker 2. I'm, I, I like, if it wasn't, what it is i probably would put it in my honorable mentions but like the fact that it's a musical is like so weird that i'm like that i gotta see that i want to see what they're doing there yeah uh it just the idea of taking a billion dollar already movie that was already i want to say risky but like not traditional uh getting away with that and then being like all right we're gonna get even weirder with it we're making it a musical between lady gaga and the joker that's fucking cool to me. That shows that they believe in Todd Phillips to do whatever the hell he wants. And I'm like, that's cool. And Joaquin Phoenix is back and he's just traditionally not this kind of person. So yeah. all of that speaks uh, number volumes to me. And I'm, yeah. I'm very interested in it. Fair points. My number two, Furiosa, a Mad Max saga directed by George Miller, the sequel to 2013, 2015's modern masterpiece, Mad Max Fury Road, stars Anya Taylor-Johnson and Chris Hemsworth playing what looks to be a delightful villain uh, that'll be hitting theaters quite soon, uh, relatively soon, May 24th. Yeah, I'm excited for that, too. I really love Fury Road. That was a really good theatrical experience. So I'm excited to see that this movie is actually finally happening because for the longest time, it was like, oh, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. And I was like, are you? And so now it's actually coming out. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty excited. Um, <clears throat> my number two, Dune. Dune Part Two. Yep. Uh, I've I've heard of it. <laughs> it's gonna be a big one uh, another movie that got delayed from this year to next year um i'm very excited for it uh i love uh the direction they're going in i think it's really exciting it sounds like dune part one was kind of the setting the table for something much grander and mm-hmm. i'm like and i was already pretty interested in that one but part two seems much more exciting so i'm really interested yeah in i wish i was as hyped for this film as most people are i need to rewatch. The first Dune, I just remember it boring the shit out of me. <laughs> just boring the shit out of me. Uh, my number one, I feel like this is slept on in the general film community. It's weird because it's coming out the soonest of everything on this list, and we haven't seen much of it. It is a follow-up from the director of 2019's Best Picture winning Parasite. That is Bong Joon-ho. Oh, yes. The movie is Mickey 17. It stars Robert Pattinson, Naomi Aki, Tony Collette, Mark Ruffalo and Stephen Young. It hits theaters on March 29th. I have this top of my list for a few reasons. First and foremost, I rewatched Parasite a, a, a week ago. I want to say last week. First time I've rewatched it. I think since it came out, one of the best movies I've ever seen. Wow! Every single moment is filled with such drama and dread. The twists are so perfectly crafted. The thematics are both uh, poignant but delicately laid out. It is, you could tell me it's a horror, it's a comedy, it's a drama. You could make a case for all three of those things. So his follow-up, a fully English film, which, of course, we've seen him do before with Snowpiercer and Okja. Okja, uh, Snowpiercer, <laughs> fantastic. Robert Pattinson, uh, so that's reason one. Reason number two, Robert Pattinson is one of the most exciting A-listers we have. He's been on a three, four, five-year heater that is only seeming to build and build and build. I think that this is just a wildly genius next step for him. And third is I've read the book that this is based on, and it is an awesome sci-fi book. I see the fit between Bong Joon-ho and the themes that he likes to touch on, 
and this movie immediately. It's an incredibly unique story. And I will just say that the book is called Mickey 7, and changing it to 17 makes a huge, huge difference. Interesting. Yeah, the, I I considered putting this on my list, but given we only have one teaser and it's like pretty vague and I don't oh. I've never read the book and I don't really know what it's about. I was like, I can't really say I'm like over the moon about it, but the talent behind it definitely makes an honorable mention. I mean, I'm a big Robert Pattinson guy, so I'm there day one for anything he makes. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. My number one, I'm surprised you didn't mention this at all, uh, was another movie that I got delayed out of this year. Our girl Zendaya is getting a train ran on her by tennis. That's your players. number one. I'm well, yeah, I, I do, I do think so. I think that looks, I like, did the trailer, about it, but it's awesome. like, but it's like, <laughs> how do I put this lightly? I don't have faith that she is going to get nude. <laughs> that is not why it's number one on my list. You fucking freak! <laughs> why else would? Why the fuck else would you rank that? What other reason I, do you have to be excited for that movie? Don't listen, fucking bullshit it, me. It looks hot. It looks like a hot movie. I won't lie to you. It looks okay. Horny so as then fuck. that's the same thing. Yeah, I just yeah okay for uh, but uh, no, I mean like the trailer. Like there are movies that are horny, but they're not well made <laughs> right yeah right. Um, they're, <laughs> they're not good movies uh but this movie looks like it genuinely has the right kind of balance of like we're making something that's going to be really salacious and really risky and uh it's gonna get people all riled up but it looks like it'll actually have some merit to it it's not just sex for the sake of sex i think that's when you start making movies straight for netflix and yeah. your 50 year old mother watches them Wow, you know, I was going to put this on my honorable mentions. I did not. So I'm glad that you brought it up. That hit theaters in like March, I think. May, March. Sometime in the spring. Yeah, so that one's pretty soon. Luca Guadagino, right? Mm-hmm. Guadagnino, who also did Call Me By Your Name. Mm-hmm. It's horny. So He's just known for making some horny fucking movies. You got boys fucking peaches. You got tennis players getting trains run on them. I mean... <laughs> What's next? I want to see what this guy's got cooking. All right, so that's going to do it for our most anticipated movies of 2024. Now we're going to swing over to some of the some of my interviews that I have accumulated over the last few weeks. We have the cast of Iron Claw. That is Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen White, Harris Dickinson, and Stanley Simons. We then have Gareth Edwards, creator, uh, director of the creator Rogue One and Godzilla. And then finally, Jaiman Ansu, uh, he is in Rebel Moon Part 1, an atrocious movie. Just truly, deeply terrible movie. Uh, but Jaimon is a incredible artist. He's a deep thinker. That was one of my favorite conversations I've ever had. So I hope you will all stick around for that. Boys, what I liked most about this film is how real the bonds between you all felt. Was there a certain moment where you feel like you sort of cracked the code of that bond between the four of you? When I spoke to Sean, he had brought up the um, football scene. And I asked that because I imagine like beyond just being good at your jobs, you must have bonded off camera as well to make this feel so real. Every, we were, everything in the, at that farmhouse, um, which was sort of the first half of filming that we went through, we got to do all all the brothers stuff kind of mm-hmm. right there, and and that was really positioned well for us in you know chronologically how we shot the movie, because we got to 
not think about the wrestling so much and focus on the brothers' relationship, which was, I think, the most important part of the story. Yeah, and not too much like tragedy had hit the family yet. Yeah. There was still this time of kind of like celebration. It was exciting. Oh. Like these men were starting to get into the sport and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And, mm -hmm. And I think um, um, there was like a lot of uh, like hope and excitement surrounding the mm -hmm. family and the brothers. And you were, you know, Kevin was like falling in love, and there was like so much um, kind of like a positive. Yeah, yeah, positive energy around the family. And there really are. There, that was this was at the beginning of their, um, you know, very fat, quick rise to fame. And uh, yeah, like really were about to take over the world of wrestling in a way that had never been done before. How did playing men whose jobs were so intensely tied to who they were cause you to sort of look at the way you approach your own work? Ooh. Oh, that's interesting. Um, the intensity of which that, you know, they, that they made wrestling uh, everything in their lives. Uh, it just yeah. uh, was, was, it's, it's inspiring. Yeah, it's um, admirable. Yeah. It's definitely admirable. Um, the commitment to that and yeah the physical and them. mental commitment to that is is very interesting and i think that to so I mean, the extent that they they were getting injured a lot and, and that was you know luckily we have stunt doubles in in, in acting and, and and we didn't have to necessarily go through uh what they went through but um i think i don't know i think that seeing seeing these people who, who put their all into something like that that's that's always inspiring and, and i and I definitely took took something away from it um, personally. Like yeah, that perseverance of these men. Exactly. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Word for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think seeing Kevin's journey as well and that that endurance of like his spirit has always been like and incredibly also, impressive. Totally. And and also like Shaw, like just like he said that thing to you, I think about like how um, if you do it, like you, you just like you get her or whatever, you you keep going, like you just give yeah. it one hundred percent always. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's very. That can sort of be yeah. relatable to a lot of things in, in other areas, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in some sense, it's a cautionary tale a little bit, uh, you know, about committing and, and it, uh, you know, these guys, I think, gave their whole lives to yeah, their identities, their identities so, yeah. over to it. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting how in some aspects, you know, there, you could draw some parallels between that and acting. Um, but... This is, this is, it's so much more. It felt like, it feels like everything uh, in this story. And yeah, I mean, that, that's what made it really exciting. I think this, it, it, this pulls back the curtain behind professional wrestling and, re and reveals how much it takes out of you. I, we have so much respect for this sport and uh, for these guys. And it means everything to, to kind of tell their story in, in the way that we have. So it feels really Your really guys' hard work paid off because I love this film. It's one of the best I've seen this year. And I mean this in the best way that I can. It reminds me of one of those films that you'll see on like TNT for years to come that 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 our dads would just crush. Like I see that coming. And I feel like that's something that we're losing a lot of. But I still love those films. So it was great sure. to see that again. Rock and roll, man. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love So films. just real real quick before I wrap, I touched on how, you know, how close you guys felt. I'm curious if you guys had a group chat while you were on film and if you yeah. did, what yeah. it was called. We didn't, I didn't have a name. It wasn't a name. I don't think we had a on, name. It was an IMS. I must say that Zach's we were just talking about earlier, Zach's uh 
texts are so motivational. He's such a good. It's so nice. It's like yeah. a big paragraph. Like, like at the end of every up, day, it was, it was just so like that was praise amazing and, today. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty. It was pretty. I just nice. wanted to make sure. Good. I wanted to make sure the whole time I was like, "Are you guys feeling what I'm feeling right now? Because I'm fired up." Yeah. Like, this is, <laughs> yeah. That was electric. Like, as much as it's a film, and we, you know, we we have rehearsal and stuff like that. There's nothing. There's nothing to it but to do it. Like we, all these guys went out there every day, with limited rehearsal and a lot on the line, and and just like committed to the moves and like wore it every day. And it, it hurt, man. We were sore and messed up. I was just so proud of everybody in uh, on this movie. And and I mean, it's an achievement. I I'm, I'm just stoked for all you guys. It's, See, it's still it's still going <laughs> on, man. It yeah, paid so off, guys. Nice. It's awesome. I've got to wrap here real quick. Stanley, I just want to shout you out. Well, I loved this whole film. The thing that stuck in my head most for these last few weeks is that song, I Want to Live That Way Forever. I didn't know that it was made for the film. I asked Sean about it because I've been trying to find it online for weeks. Awesome moment, man. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Richard Reed uh, Perry uh, wrote it and... Um... Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a testament to him and and Sean for making it and you. essentially the theme of the big yeah. time band. Yeah, yeah. 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 It All right, boys. And I had I had a great uh, oh. band as well. Shout out Lovers. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. All right, y'all. Thank, Thank you, you so fellas. Much, really appreciate Congrats. It. Folks, today I am joined by one of my absolute favorite filmmakers, Gareth Edwards. Thank you so much for your time today, sir. No, thanks for having me. Thank you. Gareth, are you a little bit concerned that one day AI is going to download your film and its brain and use it to be like, see, look, we aren't the bad guys? No, I feel very confident that AI is going to download this film and, and when it destroys the rest of mankind, it's going to save me. And they're going to go, you understand, leave him alone. He gets us. <laughs> and apparently I'm allowed a plus one. So <laughs> depending on how this chat goes, you know, Okay, good, good. Then I'll bring uh, the butter. Um, all right, so where, where I think is most sci-fi films tend to lose a bit of steam in their third act, I think that that act in The Creator is best. And I think that that's kind of the case for all your work. Monsters, Godzilla, Rogue One. So I want to know your keys to crafting a satisfying sci-fi conclusion. Uh, I, I mean, thank you. I don't... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's always the aim... I work backwards usually from an ending. It's a tricky one because you you can't totally start at an end and and go to the beginning um, because you might end up with a beginning that is is very flat and doesn't like launch you into a story well. And so you've kind of got to do two at both at the same time and, and try and meet in the middle. So the real problematic part of a film for me is always the middle of where those where the beginning and the end kind of connects in a way in a weird way but yeah the ending is the most important part in the like my favorite part of a joke is the punchline you know and my my the reason i don't really watch tv it's a terrible thing you know like you know serial television i i for some reason i after like three episodes everyone always recommends these shows and after like the third episode i just find i'm not watching it anymore and and then I kind of hit a point where I was like, what is the matter with me? Why don't I do this? And then <laughs> and then realized like I just really like endings. Like, you know, if someone's telling a story, if it never gets anywhere, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're like, all right. Like, 
a, a conclusion um as like this interview is proving <laughs> if i just rabbit on forever um it's it's you just disengage you know what i mean and, and really an ending as is the reason a story exists like there's a point there's like a it reaches a conclusion of sorts Do you work backwards because of that yeah yeah well actually i work forwards to start with and then and then i find like this sort of implies this is how this movie will resolve roughly and then i stop the, the beginning and i go the most important part of the film is the end so then I try to find the end in a way that feels going to be it's going to be most satisfying. And then when you find that and you strengthen that and you go, this this wins over everything else. This should be whatever I have to do to the beginning to, to make this work is I'll change the beginning to make the end work. I won't mm. change the, um, the ending to make the beginning work. You know what I mean? Like like the ending is is the king. And so. And also I love, you know, I don't know, pick your movie, but to me, all my favorite films growing up had such strong cinematic, I think the best third act in a movie, I mean, there's a few great ones, it's probably Return of the Jedi. Um, like in the way that it has this triangle of intercutting between like a ground battle. I know it's Ewoks and I know, you know, everyone's got their opinions, but it, you've got this kind of what is essentially like a guerrilla warfare in a in a jungle, a forest, and then you've got this in, insane space battle, like epic space battle, and then you've got this very Shakespearean, emotional uh, characters you truly care the most about fighting to the death, and all three affect each other. And as one goes wrong, the next one goes wrong, the next one goes, and as one goes right, they. And, and it, that intercutting, it's kind of like, I think it's one of the high benchmarks of, of third acts. And and so, yeah, you're always, I am, like, you're trying to emulate your heroes a little bit. So, like, the benchmark's so high for third acts that that you've got to at least try to do something. I just laugh because you name-check a Star Wars film that's not your own, because I think your third act in your Star Wars film does all of those things. We'll get to that in a second. Real quick, one of the surprises that I liked most about this film, and I'm assuming that's the case with a lot who saw it, was that it genuinely challenged my feelings and beliefs about AI in ways that I never had before. And I didn't see that coming, and I imagined that that, that was a goal of yours. But I do have a, a bit of a hard time reckoning with the moral logic of the film. Humanity is largely painted as the ruthless villain, which I am fine with and largely, unfortunately, agree with. And AI is portrayed as this uh, benevolent, growing being. But if AI is our creation, wouldn't they also inherently be like us, good and bad? Yeah, probably. Um, maybe more so, like more extreme versions of good, and maybe more extreme versions of bad. I don't know. The um, it's tricky because making this film, I wasn't fully trying to set the record straight on AI, you know, at all. It was a, it was kind of a fairy tale about people and things that are different to us, you know. Um, and I chose AI as that as that metaphor um i i think like i do think i mean the big question is 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 ai 
I mean, we we hit we hit points in the film when we were telling the story where it was it was it was tricky because if AI is a bad guy, like we needed to redeem AI in our movie in some way, and we needed to, if they had started this war, it's sort of unforgivable, you know what I mean? And 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 you can get into the whole like you know you see it in the real world, unfortunately, all the time where one person does something bad and the whole group is labeled as bad that that person belonged to, you know, or, or few people belong to. Um, and so the question is, if AI did something bad, would all of AI be punished for it as a, as a group? Just like if a self-driving car plowed into a crowd of people, would all self-driving cars be banned, you know? And, and I think the answer feels like probably, to at least for a bit, like we we do tend to do that. We do go, you look a lot like these people and you have a lot in common with them. And these people have been bad. So we're gonna say all of you, are, we don't like all of you, right? And that's kind of a very reoccurring human trait. And so in, a, in the AI in our movie, we tried to do it that way. We tried to have it that some AI were bad and um, but not everybody, like don't, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. But in all our test screenings and things, people just couldn't get over it. Like they just didn't like AI if any of them did anything bad. So we had to kind of remove that a little bit to have people be rooting for them by the end. And it was it was more interesting what it said about us in the way that we judge groups than any agenda I had about AI being good or baddies or anything. So I want to touch on Rogue One real quick. I've long felt that it is my favorite and it is the best Star Wars film because I think you focus on the war part and the fact that war is hell. And I think that this is a belief that has been growing for a few years. I'm curious what you think it is about your film that makes people like me think this way. Oh, God. I'm the last person to be able to answer that question. Um, or, or, or I, then how does it make you feel? I can tell you what we tried to achieve. Um, when you get given a Star Wars movie, and essentially you get given something that's, like Star Wars to me is pretty perfect. You know, it's as a movie, A New Hope is hard to fault. I think it's one of the holy grails of cinema. And then someone says, go make a prequel to that. Where can you go that's got anything interesting to say? And I think the thing that I felt was that I was a kid when I watched Star Wars and, and innocent and naive. And I saw it, this hero or these heroes and I saw an adventure and the idea of shooting spaceships and blowing up a Death Star and it was all like really exciting and I want to be Luke Skywalker. And then you grow up and you see the real world version of that stuff um, unfolding and you realize, oh shit, when you blow up the Death Star, you're actually killing loads of innocent people that were probably just engineers and, you know, just, you know, servicing that whole facility. And and when you shoot those spaceships, you know, that that pilot probably has a wife and kid and 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 this idea that war is this adventure, exciting adventure that it, it starts to feel like false. And the truer 
And so it felt like that there's something to say there. And, and so the first, like on the first day or so, it was like, let's just invert all the assumptions about Star Wars. So essentially what Star Wars to me was, is a boy who dreams, who's stuck at home and dreams of joining a war. And so it was like, let's tell a story of a girl who's stuck in a war and dreams of going home. And and it was and it was like and that was then something like it was like a mirror on a new hope. And you kind of go, that that then felt like, okay, we can do Star Wars. We've just flipped the polarity of a lot of things. And now it all felt justified a bit. Like there was something to say. And it wasn't just repeating, like doing a karaoke number. And so that that felt that felt like the intention. And then who knows how good or bad we pulled it off, but that was definitely how it started. Well, I love that film, Gareth. I it's one of the few that I own. I've got to wrap here. Real quick, I just want to ask. I have seen a few rumors about you and Thor Five. Do you have any interest in that at all or anything along those lines? I saw those rumors too. I saw I, I saw it and I, I jokingly sent it to my girlfriend. And I just texted her the link and said, I didn't want you to find out this way. Um, I've never heard anything about it. It's totally, the internet is an incredible place. Is that you something know? that you would want to do? Um, I love, you know, those movies. I, you know, I, I, I love Marvel. A lot of my friends work on Marvel films as well. Um, I'm very excited about the future of cinema personally. I feel like everything we did differently on the creator um, are probably the strengths, the strongest parts of the film. And I just want to push that even further. And I want to like, and so having the freedom and, you know, being able to take risks, like, being allowed to fail, you know, I think that that's all important part of any creativity. And so, um, so I think I, I, I'm, I'm very excited about having another go at my own film and I love all these other movies and I, I love little franchises. I go to see them all and I have most of them on my DVD Blu-ray shelf, but, um, but I, I really want to keep pursuing this original sci-fi and. That sounds great to stuff. us because we want you to do that too, sir. Your films are fantastic. I was that them. was that a very politically? It was. It was a. It was a not yet. Question. But I'm not saying no either. No, that's that's the man I, who knows that a check could always come his way. I love all that stuff. I like, never say never in the right circumstances. Absolutely. But um, yeah, I. I'm I'm very I'm very lucky and very happy where I am. So, all right, Gareth. Thank you, man. Thanks a Appreciate lot. Appreciate your time. Um, folks, today I am joined by Jaiman Ansu, one of the finest actors that we have today. Thank you so much for your time today, man. Thank you, sir. How are you? Happy. Holidays. Um, I'm doing. I'm I'm doing well. And you, sir? Very well, very well. We had an amazing opening yesterday, so I mean, a uh, uh, premiere yesterday. So yeah, the the spirit is, uh, you know, 
it's quite high. And I loved that. Was that pink or was that red jacket you had on? <laughs> it was sort of like uh, orange pink. It was nice, you know, my man. So yeah. I want to start with, let, let's start out a bit fun. Of yes. all of the badass characters that you've played, if they got in a massive brawl, would General Titus come out on top? Or if not, who would? <laughs> um, looking at our group, uh, yes, I, it, it's um, fair to assume that uh, General Titus will be on top, yes. So you've played some really incredibly dramatic real-world roles. And I'm curious if the process of bringing gravity to a sci-fi character is the same, or if there's a different emotional wavelength you have to be on because the rules of the world are so different. The rules of the world are quite different in this uh, in Rebel Moon, but ultimately you still... Uh, uh, your 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 biggest uh, and the, your best guidance still is the story. The what was grounding about the story its its level of uh, 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 th that that reflects our reality. That is one. Uh, the I could uh, you know coming coming off the page right in reading this epic uh, you know written story had really. Uh, it's the geopolitical tentacles that have been holding the continent of Africa back for a long, long time. Uh, a continent, the wealthiest continent, and still have very little to show for. And that was coming off the page. Yeah, I had seen you say that last night at the premiere, and I did right. want to ask about that. Why do you think sci-fi is such an effective vehicle for talking about these themes? Well, it's an effective vehicle because it's not uh, pointing finger at anybody. It's just stating the fact that uh, you know uh, this uh, uh, the the the, the uh, politics uh, holding that continent back. Uh, you know, pretty much uh, the. The, the geopolitical pl that plays out in uh, in this story really resonates, you know, volume for me in respect to uh, 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 this sub-Saharan uh, uh, um, uh, sub-Saharan Africa that still is trying to overcome tremendous trauma, right? Um, economic trauma. Um, you know, there's uh, quite a bit of a um, uh, 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 notion about the the uh, hip, our hypocritical carelessness about our planet as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so those elements were elements that um, spoke volume to me, and they were very grounding organically. You speak to, and I love the way that, you know, and I found this with a, a, a lot of the work, I love the way that you feel a responsibility that tells stories that are important to you and your culture. I find that incredibly inspiring. Um, and I'm, to that point, in playing this role, because it made you think so much of the struggles that Africa has been through, I'm curious if there were any sort of revolutionary or political leaders that you drew from while building out this character? 
Uh, well, there are quite a few uh, revolutionary leaders that uh, I could um, uh, uh, I could see through this story, the interpretation of this story. Uh, Thomas Sankara from um, uh, Burkina Faso. Um, we, the, you know, the likes of uh, uh, Nelson Mandela, for example, Stephen Biko, I mean, you name it. There were a lot of, uh, you know, political leaders that uh, stood up to the uh, indoctrination of the time and were all executed, you know. Uh, one by one, they were all executed. Uh, and, yeah, this I find quite disturbing. Yes, and but again, this this is what making movies about, really. You yeah. know, to be able to to uh, uh, leverage and or find connection with uh, something so futuristic, so sci-fi fantasy uh, that uh, Zach has created, uh, you know, or, or been fantasizing about for over thirty years. What I really liked about your character is that this is a man who has given up. He says, you know, leave me here to die in peace. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, how satisfying is it playing a character who's given up on hope and needs to be brought back into the light? I imagine that's a very fulfilling arc. It's a great, uh, it's a great arc uh, to, to be uh, playing a character that had lost uh, all hopes and but uh, in a glimpse of... Uh, of uh, you know, uh, hope that was ignited by uh, another character. He sees the potential for justice. Justice. He sees the potential for re redemption and the potential for, uh, um, uh, you know, for revenge. So I need to pay you beyond a performance compliment, a physical one. You were mm. in incredible shape Thank for this you. film. And so I just really want to give you a chance to speak to all the hard work that you put in to look like that mm -hmm. because I think people deserve to know how hard you've worked. It was a lot of hard work. Um, nothing came easy. Um, little that I knew that, uh, the, you know, to be part of a uh, Zack Snyder film required a, a level of military training, um, which I didn't expect. And... Uh, let alone that, you also had, uh, we also had to watch what we uh, inject in our body day in and day out. The, uh, uh, there's a, a serious level of care in which the, the food we ate was uh, well calculated, uh, planned, and uh, we all ate pretty much the same thing, every, the whole cast, uh, day in and day out. And so I think that brought a certain camaraderie, you know, amongst us in where it really um, it brought us together as a as a unit, you know, rather than a fragmented, uh, you know, where everybody uh, is doing the individual, you know, bits. And uh, so there was um, a tremendous dedication from day one, two months prior to filming and uh, and. Throughout filming, we were all on this uh, series, uh, you know, sort of like a regimented, uh, you know, uh, training. 
So I hate to make this point to you, but you were pretty much the OG of of the film, and not just that, but you're the only uh, Academy Award nominee on the cast as well. So I'm curious if those type of things mm. give you an. Ex- Am I the only one? Because uh, 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 actor, uh, 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 we have uh, uh, um, Hopkins, but that's his voice. Anthony Hopkins. Well, yes, that's, that's his voice. Indeed, that's his indeed. Voice. Yes, All right, yes, so, yes. Fair point, though, sir. Yeah, but my, right. my my point is that. Does, does sort of being the elder statesman mm-hmm. of a cast give right. you an extra sense of responsibility or put a bit more weight on your shoulders? It did in some uh, weird fashion, it did. But at the same time, I mean, uh, we were all... Uh, it felt like we were all in this together. We were all striving and, uh, you know, uh, having to live out this... Uh, you know, fantasy world that Zach created. Uh, little that I knew that uh, 30 years ago, 30 some years when I uh, I began my career in Hollywood, I was still a model at the time, and I would go to the film school and pose as a subject for most of those film students. And uh, he happens to be one of the film students who took pictures of me back then. You know. And uh, and he still remembers and, uh, you know, and went back and found the picture that he took back, uh, you know, 30, almost 34 years ago. But uh, so that was quite, you know, yeah, it was amazing to to It's funny to because you look the same age now as you did then. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> so I, I, I do want to swing over to... Gladiator. Now we are free. I will see you again, but not yet. Not Not yet. yet. As far as as I'm concerned, that is one of the great lines in film. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. I've I've been alive for 30 years, and that's one that just rattles around in my head all the time. And Mm -hmm. I think a large part of that is the way you deliver the line. It's filled with optimism, but sorrow. Sorrow. Yeah, so I'm just curious. Can you tell me about filming that scene? You get the last line in that film, which has gone on to become one of the great movies of the last 30, 40 years. So I'm just curious, what this, pops into your head when you mm-hmm. recall filming that line? A lot of things. We had um, a tragic death prior to that, in which we lost, um, you know, the the head of the, the gladiators, uh, uh, Oliver Reed. And um, I guess in the process of losing him in uh, in the making of it, uh, it changed the fabric of uh, it, it changed a lot of things for Ridley Scott. And um, we kept on filming, and one day I get um, you know uh, really puts me pulled me on the side and said, uh, "Here, have a look at this, and this is sort of like the idea of what we how I want to close it up." I said, okay, and I'm looking at this, and uh, he said, but please keep it uh, to yourself, hush, because uh, the studio doesn't know yet. Uh, The actors, nobody knows. It's just you and me. And Hmm. we will film this at the end of the day. It's the last day of the week. It's a Friday. And I remember vividly, uh, it was somewhat sundown. And uh, we were in the middle of the arena of the Coliseum, the Gladiator Coliseum in the film. And uh, 
really, really just, you know, literally said, let's go. And let's go was we were filming that particular shot, that scene, in which, um, yeah, of course, I said those words and um, uh, they were powerful. But I didn't think anything more of it at the time because, again, it was uh, something that was not uh, um, agreed upon or it, it was still de debatable given the fact that, um, you know, uh, the studio hasn't agreed to it yet. Um, uh, Russell Crowe himself had to uh, had a, uh, a a year or nay to uh, to be said about that, uh, and so I filmed that, and literally the next day I left town. I we I rapped for the film, mm -hmm. and fast forward to you know screening the film, and that's when I discovered that the the, the that scene. Um, was beautifully uh, uh, the way he shut that sun down uh, empty arena because everybody was gone uh, most of the cast was gone the crew most of the crew was gone it was just a couple of elements of uh, Ridley's uh, you know uh, cameraman and uh, uh, cinematographer who was left behind uh, and it became what it became yeah that's yeah. one of those scenes, lines, shot that's going to be a staple of cinema for decades to come. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've you. seen conflicting reports, and mm -hmm. if you can't talk, talk on it, I totally get that. Are you mm -hmm. involved in the sequel at all? Uh, honestly, no. Okay. And uh, this, uh, this was a, a, a pure accident in the way um, it unfolded. But I was... Um, I was going to be part of it. Okay. The circumstances gotcha. um, dictated to, to be uh, something different, but uh, yeah. Such is life, right, sir? <laughs> Such is life. So I'm sure I am about to be the millionth person to tell you, but obviously your work in Blood Diamond is incre incredibly powerful. It's one of the purest distillations of father and son love, which is like mm -hmm. arguably one of the most important stories that mankind can tell. Mm -hmm. Um but it's also an incredibly demanding role, both physically and emotionally. Yes. And I saw you telling GQ that a lot of your time was spent just with Leo walking out in nature. I'm curious, were there any moments between you and him where the importance of telling the story pushed you through the difficulty of making it? And, and you know, uh, just... The nature of that story... I mean, it still gives me chills, but the nature of that story was in, enough for me to be extremely connected emotionally, right? So we didn't need to talk or say anything about it because it's a fact. It's a fact when you look at the makeup of the continent of Africa, you look at the, the geopolitical tentacles that have been holding that continent back for centuries, it's inevitable to... It would, it's, it's inevitable not to feel. It's inevitable mm -hmm. to not to be organically and emotionally connected to this story. And there was nothing that need, needed to be said that, that would make, um, you know, uh, yeah, it, it would just, 
Mm. I was alive from the moment we start, uh, uh, at Zwick start rolling and telling this story. I was alive from that moment to the end. It was, n I, I. Are you almost not performing? Are you basically like you're in the soul of this guy, you know? Yes, I'm in the soul of that guy and for that character. And there was yeah. nothing, um, everything about it was very organic and very connecting and very uh, emotional. There was nothing was uh, uh, planned, nothing was uh, sort of like, uh, constru you know, created or constructed or have to be built up for me to feel any connection right. at all. I right. mean, it was all very organic. I didn't, you know, in the same way I was uh, extremely organically connected during uh, Amistad with Steven Spielberg, right. same here. So those are two films I'm sure you get asked about all, all the time. I'm going to ask you about mm -hmm. one that I'm not sure you'll get asked about as much, and that's Constantine. That is a movie that I have loved for 20 years. Right. I just spoke to Francis a few weeks ago, and I got to tell him like how this film has become such a cult hit. Right. It's become such a cult hit. They're making, or at least they're trying to make a sequel. You come in, man, and you steal the whole show. It's the Papa Midnight. <laughs> yeah, just an awesome character, the world that he's in. Mm -hmm. So... Talk to me about filming that scene with Keanu and what you most r recall. Um, I, I would think that, uh, again, that also was very organic in which uh, in the character, the, the way I was portraying the character, there's so much of a, uh, uh, the portrayal of that char character that um, uh, mimics so much of a... Uh, the 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 history of where I come from, you know, and mm. uh, and uh, and you know, we're talking about Papa Midnight. Papa Midnight is a, is almost like a uh, you know uh, a modern day voodoo priest, if you will, mm. you know, uh, trying to guide with a bit of notion of uh, of that world, trying to guide and give some substance to uh, Keanu Reeves' character, but. Uh, that also was very organic, um, even though it was more fun and a lot, you know, a lot more relaxed. And uh, but I still, uh, you know, dug into uh, my past, the, the, you know, my uh, uh, you know cultural heritage in order to uh, to play that. Yes. And I know that they're very early in the stages. Have you heard from Francis at all about the sequel? No, no, I have not heard uh, gotcha. from Francis. I haven't seen Francis in, in ages, and uh, it would be lovely <laughs> Francis, to... Francis, uh, let's go, man. Yes, let's get yes, together. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, John but I, I know that they've been talking about it for some time, and I know that it's been, uh, you know, reoccurring, and certainly uh, Keanu Reeves made a statement about what, you know, a character that he would love to replay, uh, uh, and that was uh, that, was that. yeah. Diamond, I've got to wrap here. As I said, the seriousness with which you approach your work and the responsibility that you place on mm -hmm. telling important stories, I believe, makes you a true artist. And for that, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Much appreciated. Happy holidays to you. Thank same, you so much for that. Same, Diamond. Thank you, sir. All right, that is going to do it for this week, this month, and this year on the Post Credit Podcast. I thank you all for tuning in, whether it be your first time or your 10th time. However, many times you tuned into the show, we appreciate it. Uh, we will be back next year whenever sees fit. I have an interview coming up with 
Vincent Donofrio from Daredevil and such that will be dropping earlier in the year. So stay tuned for that. I hope you all have happy, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year, all that stuff. Cade, all of that goes to you as well, my man. Me too. Thank you, man. All right. We will talk to you later. Peace. Maximus Decimus Meridian.